Hey friends, welcome to Women, Wine, and Leadership. This week, we're talking about workplace strategies. That means strategies in the workplace that are working for women who are leading like a boss. Regardless of title, we're talking about living a life of leadership. So grab yourself a friend or a couple of friends and go to the break room and listen to this podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Two loveliest sounds in the world are the sounds of a cork popping and the sound of a wine bottle pouring. I'm excited for this interview with Rye because we've already been talking for 20 minutes and haven't even hit record yet. <laughs> and I said, we have to stop. And I love the fact that, I think my microphone picks up the sound of that wine pouring. Um, Rye, opened up our call by opening a bottle of wine. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to open with this, right? That um, we connect mostly on the fact that we didn't start drinking wine until we had kids <laughs> and why that is, why there are so many working moms who hit the bottle as soon as they get home. And I'm not raising up addiction conversation here. We're not talking about gross addiction. We're talking about that glass of wine at the end of the day. Um, tell me about um, a little bit about your career, just a snapshot, and the age of your kids and where wine got involved in your motherhood. <laughs> if you met my firstborn, you would know. <laughs> he was a handful. Um, I started out when I was 18. I was very fortunate. Um, I went to Hofstra University, and at the time, they had... Um, Sports Channel. So I just dated uh -huh. myself. And Sports Channel, the they had to have a complement of their own people plus higher students. And yeah. I was very lucky that I was able to work in a studio, in a studio setting while I was in school. So I was a camera operator. I was a tape operator. Yeah. Um, moving forward in different portions of my career, it was, I started to look around and see that there weren't a lot of women doing, you know, camera operating, you know, out in the field and being a technician. Yeah. And I thought that I wanted to become a producer. I wanted to work for, you know, National Geographic. I wanted to travel the world. I was going to produce. It was going to be great. I was going to do documentaries. And I was very fortunate. I tripped over a mentor who really, he forced me to look at the technical side and to stay technical. And this was back in the day where you know, I was too young, too stupid to really even think about where women sat in the food chain for what I was right. doing. Yeah. And he, you know, he said to me, you know, there are no women engineers out there. You're an engineer, you know, you should really do that. And, yeah. you know, my thing was, I'm not an engineer. I'm not technical. I can't do any of that. Huh. And he taught me a really hard lesson. We were in the studio one day and we got into the argument of me not being technical and I wanted to produce. And he pulled all the cables out of a rack. And all of that cabling is what got us on the air. And he dropped it on the ground and he looked at me and said, get us on air. Shut the door and banned everybody from coming in there to help me. Wow. So, yeah, it was, it was, I, you know, 
I, I don't know if I blacked out. I might have peed a little. I'm not quite sure. It was really, it was one of those defining moments. To decide if that was really extraordinary leadership or insanity. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> both. What did it do to you? What, how long did it take you to pull it together? It, um, you know, I had a defined amount of time and I, you know, I made it. I, there were a few things that were incorrect, but the major, you know, pieces of equipment that it took to get us on air, uh -huh. everything was functional. Yeah. And it really, you know, I did, I had to take a step back and say, really, what is it that I want to do? And he was right. You know, for what I do in this industry, yeah. there aren't a lot of women. Right. So after that, you know, I, I stayed in production. I had different roles at various companies. And it wasn't until um, right around the time that I got divorced, I've been married twice, that I had, you know, been laid off. The company went away. And some of my vendors came to me on the sales side and they wanted to hire me. And I'm like, you don't want to hire me. I'm the person that's going to tell people not to buy it because, you know, it costs too much or they don't need it. Kind of defeats the purpose of sales. Yeah. And he said to me, um, you know, people want to talk to people. People have relationships. Engineers will talk to you quicker than they'll talk to a traditional salesperson. Yeah. And then he ended with, oh, and by the way, you can work from home and be there with your kids. There you go. There you go. That's it. So that was the whole push and, you know, moving forward over the years, it just, you know, you talk about, um, you know, I look at some of your stuff and you look at all these women who are, you know, at this level and they've got this amazing career and they've been very focused and, you know, very driven. And me, it's sort of been, I've tripped over it. Okay. And, you know, I think when you're a mom and you have those kids uh -huh. so focused on trying to have that balance, somehow you tend to work a little bit harder. And somewhere along the line, I got really lucky and I got recognized yeah. as I was doing that. And, you know, I've been fortunate. That's how it's grown, you know, and the boys were very young, you know, at the time. And as they've grown, you know, the career has shifted and changed based on their ages. You know, the oldest now is 24 and the youngest is 21. Yeah. So there's that empty nest. So what do you do with your time? There's a reinvention there. I was talking to a friend who's a grief therapist Ugh. and she said, uh, we definitely need grief therapy for moms whose kids have moved out. And I, I told you that my first daughter left and I was proud of myself for doing such a good job. My second daughter went to school and I was floored and a little bit depressed, not sure what to do with myself. It's hard. It was the opposite for me. I ended up in therapy and I thought it was because there were so many different things that was going on in my life. You know, there was another divorce, there was, you know, upheaval and, you know, I was unhappy at work and, you know, I figured it was all these different things in my life that was contributing and, you know, I needed a reality check. Yeah. And sure enough, it was probably the second appointment. And she goes, tell me about your son. I'm like, why? What? And she goes, sweetie, you're having a midlife crisis. I'm like, really? Fix it. Is it just that easy? <laughs> and I, really, I had a hard time when the oldest left. It was just, there was just, it was like a death. Yeah. It felt like death. And it and, is the death of an era. Well, you know, I was, you know, you're, you're opposite of me with that. And I can't imagine what it's like to be okay on the first one and then go through it on the second one, because the first one, I was just like, you know, hell no, it's not going to happen again. And I really, it's almost like 
I geared myself up for the next couple of years to what was potentially going to happen to me. Yeah. Crazy losing my mind. Right. But you know, right. You're, you're not too far off. We are really are more alike than you think, because keep in mind my first, my, my second is the equivalent of your first that leaves you with one at home. When my first left and I had two at home, I still had a family to manage. But when my second left and my third got her driver's license, I became pretty unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Now, no one would say I'm unnecessary. They all call me plenty, but, but it, it felt like my necessity in their lives was very different. It's something to come to terms with. I've been grappling with that. And, you know, I think, I think I'm doing better with it now, but it was sort of, you know, you think about how you worry. Yeah. And I, I miss them. I don't worry as much as I used to because I know, you know, my oldest is pretty stable now. He finally figured it out, right? Yeah, I worried for so long and he's only figured it out probably in the last six to eight months. Wow. And my youngest is doing well in school. Yeah. You know, his, his problems and issues aren't outside the norm. You know, it's the studying and, you know, what am I going to do? And, you know, for me, he wants to be a gamer. Please yeah. help me. Um, there's a in that. There is definitely a There's a ton of business in that, you know. But, you know, I don't worry the way that I used to. I just, you know, I miss them. So it's, it's nice. It's, it's hard, but it's nice if, yeah. if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Well, and um, we've done a good job. They're often doing good things. I mean, it's just the natural course of life. Um, boy, it's so funny because we started out talking about how we started drinking wine every evening when our kids were little. And then we got <laughs> when they're actually leaving the house, it's a whole different kind of state of mind, isn't it? It's, it's interesting. I never really intended, you have such an impressive resume. I didn't really intend to talk so much about managing kids um, and drinking wine, but honestly, it's a real thing with working women. We, we compete against our own imagination a lot of the time. We're our worst critic. Yeah. We're our worst critic. And we, you know, it took a lot. That was something that I struggled with. You know, you have to block the noise. If you right. don't block the noise, you're not going to go anywhere. And, you know, especially for me now, you know, the last, you know, few positions and, you know, I'm in a very male dominated industry. Yeah. And if I don't block the noise, I'm just going to fold. It's, yeah. you know, it's just that easy, but I think learning to block the noise in my personal life has lent itself to professional. Like I was listening to one of your podcasts. I think it was the one last week. Yeah. And you know, it was about relationships and work and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's very, it's holistic. You can't, I can't have one without the other. I can't, you know, if, if one isn't working, the other one isn't going to work well. And, you know, if you're struggling with both, you're only gonna, you know, everything's going to be half walled up. Right. Well, this is why I often say when I'm talking to people in organizations who manage people or top officers, if your employee engagement scores are low, I would hazard a guess that a good number of your employees are not even personally 
living at 100% capacity. I think most people in general tap into maybe 60% if they're really working at it. And this is kind of the whole premise for what I do because honestly, when I started to realize that there is more capacity than what I was getting out of my life, it made me excited to start to document that and help others find that path. Because, I mean, we can come home and drink wine every night, but to a certain extent, we're going to create a blockade in our success path if we just keep anesthetizing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's so I, pain. I'm not saying I don't drink wine. I'm saying that I don't have it as often as I used to. But, um, but um, it's interesting how I told a counselor once that I um, drink coffee until noon and operate on the rest of the day off of caffeine. And then I drink wine at night to bring myself down before bed. Coffee, seltzer, and wine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> seltzer in the middle. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> coffee, seltzer, and wine. But, you know, I, it's, you know, like what you're saying about starting to drink wine. I, I didn't really drink when I was in college. You know, I would have like the fruity drinks yeah, if, those, if yeah. at all you know like a Mai Tai or something those I forget what the other one was called fuzzy navel um but it really was I was I had gone back to work I was freelancing for the first um like five years when the kids were babies um yeah. you know it allowed me to stay home work part-time yeah but as soon as I went back it was you know I have to say it was the stress of the day and then coming home and just needing like a minute, like I just need a minute to regroup, become a mom, and then get into momming. Yeah. You know, and it was it was hard. I was lucky I had a long commute. So, you know, you could decompress, but yeah. you had to you had to stop working, you had to come home, be a wife, you had to be a mom, you had to take care of everything, and you you always had to have your act together. Like right. you you don't have a minute as a mother to fail or, or at least, or at least that's the perception of most women, right? You can't fail. You have to be on your game. You have to be a hundred percent. And you know, it's all this stress that we put on ourselves and, you know, I mean, everybody's got a different reason for doing what they do. And, you yeah. know, I just needed a minute. And then, you know, when the kids are little, when you are home with them and you know, it's, it's a hundred percent of the time and they're making you crazy, you know, really, you can't yell at them. I mean, not that we don't, not that I didn't. Are but you saying that you never did? <laughs> oh, my kids are going to listen to this and go, really? I need really? to call her. Oh no. I yelled at my kids all the time. But you know, I remember the first time I apologized to my eldest. <laughs> On my knees, crying, saying, I'm not my mother. I'm not my mother. <laughs> oh, my God. I have done the same. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm glad to know. I just wanted to make sure for everybody out there that they don't think that we've mastered that. <laughs> oh, not even close. Not even close. And I think a lot of it, too, you know, back then was almost, you know, giving yourself a minute to say, you know, it's all going to work out. Some yeah. therapist someday is going to fix my kids for me, you know? <laughs> I've told them that, you know, what's interesting, right, is that um, I started analyzing myself because I'm a big brain. Yeah, I overthink all the time. And I started asking myself, if this is not the kind of mom I want to be, why do I do this? 
And I realized somewhere in their, you know, middle school years that the reason I lose it with them is because I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm not doing it right. And if they don't act according to what I think a healthy family is supposed to look like, I failed. Therefore, I'm, I'm struggling and, and straining to get them to fit in this picture of family that I think somehow tells the world that I'm doing it right. And that's not really the truth. <laughs> but see, and I think it goes a little further than that because I know a little bit about your background. Yeah. Because I see it in myself where you, you learn how to parent in the reverse way that most people do when they were raised in a healthy environment. Right. Because I, I parented based on all the things that I would have wanted and the reverse of what I had. Yeah. So you know, if you had negative things that were happening, right. you, you don't know the positive way to do it, but you just know that it shouldn't happen. You right? know what's, what you don't want. Mm -hmm. Correct. Correct. And I, I feel like that was the type of mother that I was the entire time. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm doing the best I can, but. Exactly. That, that's what we do. You know, it's funny. My husband, who grew up in a, a fairly healthy home, would ask me. <laughs> I love the way you have to define that. I did the same thing. <laughs> was it healthy or was it unhealthy? It was a healthy home. I mean, I'm not saying they're perfect, but I honestly, one of my criteria for marriage was to marry into a family. Now that doesn't mean my husband didn't qualify to some extent, but I was not going to marry into anything that I knew was toxic or um, in any way um, dysfunctional. It's not to say that they're perfect. So that's why I had to qualify that a little bit. But he said, when I was struggling through this, well, who do you think we are? Leave it to Beaver? And I went, well, yeah, leave it to Beaver, the Partridge family, the Brady Bunch. I pretty much fashioned my idea of family off of what I saw in fiction. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what you do when you don't grow up with a template. Right. Yeah. Okay. There's so much more we have to say. And um, this... I try to keep my episodes to like 20, 25 minutes so that people can make it a commute. So can we do this a second time and finish? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Is there wine involved? Okay. <laughs> I think we're going to have to make that happen. In fact, I, I have somebody who um, has told me they'd like to do one of my wine and yoga retreats in Atlanta. And so Ooh. I saw your, your location there and went, huh? Hmm. Huh. Okay. I volunteer to do it out of my house. Yeah. Yeah. You'd like it here. We're in the woods. The city uh, girl lives in the woods. I don't sounds, even. Or we're going to have to have a conversation. <laughs> that's another podcast in and of itself. Okay. We will. <clears throat> I hope you're enjoying Women's Month at Women, Wine, and Leadership, where we're giving you a seat at happy hour with some extraordinary women making history today. I just want you to know you're not alone. I hope you're finding the strategies you need to live your own life by design. If you're finding this podcast helpful, would you do me a favor? Hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and rate us. That's how we know what's working. And stay in touch with us through all the usual places. Just search 360 Life Strategies or Donna Carlson 360, wherever you hang out. But if you want real conversation with women like you and me, 
come visit the Women on the Grapevine group on Facebook or LinkedIn so we can get to know you and make some history together. Until next time.